Hey everybody, this is Josh, one of the co-hosts of Breaking Pod. I just wanted to give you a quick update. About halfway through this podcast, you might notice a difference in my audio quality. Unfortunately, when Zach and I were recording the podcast, I had a little snafu with my high-quality recording. Thankfully, we had a backup on our Skype call that we had going for the recording of the podcast, but I think that the quality of the show is as high as ever, and we will be back to high-quality audio for you next week. Enjoy the show. This podcast discusses violence, drug use, and other adult themes. Listener discretion is advised. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Breaking Pod. This is episode six. I am joined today, as always, by my co-host on this podcast, Zach. Zach, how are you doing? Doing well, man. I don't know if I've mentioned this on the podcast yet, but we are moving to Colorado. I know you know that. I don't think our listeners do. So we're uh, we're inspired by Breaking Bad, just packing up and moving west, going to move to the, the desert landscape. Lots of exciting things out there. Does that mean that you're going to get an RV too, and you're just going to yes. put everything in an RV, <laughs> your kids, your wife, and just move everybody out in an RV? Yes, that's the game plan. Exactly. Perfect. Uh, yeah, so we are, we are busy this week, kind of prepping for that move and you know purging a lot of stuff, trying to figure out what we do and do not need in our next house and all of that. So it's an exciting time, but definitely a busy time as well. Yeah, well, we're happy to be able to have you here to break down episode six of Breaking Bad, which is called A Crazy Handful of Nothing. But before we get into this week's episode and talking about everything that went on with Walt and Jesse... I just wanted to give a little bit of follow-up from last week's episode. So we had talked about how Zach had found one of the original drafts of episode five, the script. And he noted in there that the cooking scenes, the meth cooking scenes, were supposed to take place in a forest. So I did a little digging, a little internet sleuthing, and I found out that the show was originally going to be set in California. So Vince Gilligan had wanted to film in California, have the show set there, but... What happened was is that they moved production to New Mexico because they got a massive tax break on the filming. So there is your reasoning why it ended up in the New Mexico desert as opposed to the forests of California. That's a really disappointing reason. I was hoping that it was something along the lines of they you know, got to writing the script and developing the plot lines and they realized this is going to be much more suited to a desert landscape where we can have guys running around an hour outside of Albuquerque. But, but what you're saying is that, no, the production crew just got t- a tax break, basically? Basically, yeah. But you know what? Sometimes creativity requires a little bit of luck. That's true. Hey, this is this is maybe a, a question you wouldn't know the answer to, but you would certainly know more than me because you've dabbled in some filmmaking. So what does it mean when you get a tax break on the filming? So I think, in my limited knowledge, what it means is that the money that you spend in that state for the film production is not taxable. So oh, okay. gotcha. a certain percentage of what you spend, you don't have to pay taxes on. So it okay. encourages people to come in, film there, you know, make use of local businesses and, and resources. And in return, they'll give you a break on the money that you're spending. So the state basically comps all of the consumption taxes right, or the exactly. filming. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm, I'm glad it worked out. I mean, it's, I think New Mexico is a perfect setting for the show and much better than, you know, a suburb outside of LA. Exactly. Exactly. It did make for a unique setting for the show. 
Okay, so this week we are talking about episode six of season one called A Crazy Handful of Nothing. It's actually the penultimate episode of season one because there are only seven episodes in the first season. And just a little fun tidbit here, the title of the show, the title of the episode, is taken from a line from the film Cool Hand Luke, and it actually refers to a poker term, which is a handful of nothing, which is what happens when you don't have any good cards in your poker hand, but you bluff your way through the hand anyway. And it actually seems like maybe Walt, at this point in the story, is bluffing his way through a lot of his life at this point. So the hand, the the title is appropriate, I think. Well, and there's a scene that we'll talk about, I think, uh, in which there's there's literally a poker game that Walt is bluffing his way through. So it's appropriate in that sense as well. Right. The the title definitely has dual meanings here. So the episode opens with Walt entering the filthy RV with Jesse, and it's seemingly right after the the line that he had at the end of the last episode want to cook and walt is disgusted at the state of their workspace you know remember jesse and badger had gone out and cooked some in the desert left a lot of you know dirty magazines and and chip bags and everything like that it was a mess and we're going to hear the exchange between walt and jesse when he sees the state of their workspace yeah, and before we play that i just want to remind our listeners or maybe just recap for people who are starting this podcast with this episode. We finished the last episode with Walt declining money for his cancer treatments from his friends and telling them that his insurance was covering it and simultaneously lying to his family that he was taking the aforementioned gift money to pay for his treatment. So now he has decided to pursue or re-pursue meth making to generate the income for that. So that's the one a cook that that uh, you were talking about, Josh. So one a cook, they go into the RV, uh, and then they have this conversation where Walt is, as it seems, establishing the terms of their business relationship. And you're going to hear this scene, the conversation between Walt and Jesse, intercut with with something else that we'll talk about in just a minute. But here is the conversation between Walt and Jesse. Let's get something straight. This, the chemistry, is my realm. I am in charge of the cooking. Out there on the street, you deal with that. As far as our customers go, I don't want to know anything about them. I don't want to see them. I don't want to hear from them. I want no interaction with them whatsoever. This operation is you and me, and I'm the silent partner. Have you got any issues with that? So what you heard there was Walt and Jesse's scene, and it was actually intercut visually with what appears to be an out-of-place flash-forward. And so what we see is a bloodied and now completely bald Walter White walking out of what is now an undisclosed location that appears to be destroyed in some sense. We don't know exactly what happened. There's chaos raining on the street nearby, and Walt is holding a bag of something we don't yet know what it is and you pointed this out in the in the show notes josh but this is one of those opening scenes in breaking bad that vince gilligan does all the time where you open with something that seems very out of place and you're wondering how in the world did we get here i mean i think the best example of this is the very first episode the pilot right where walt is uh driving the rv in his underwear and then he crashes the rv and gets out in his underwear and he has a pistol tucked into the waistband of his uh his you know whitey tighties 
and you're just like, what in the world is going on? And then uh, after the credits, basically flash back to an earlier scene, and then the entire episode is you watching the plot unfold until you get to the point at which you originally started. So it's it's fun. It's not quite a uh, not quite like a Christopher Nolan manipulation of time, but it's a a fun little way to open with what appears to be sort of a shocking scene or a very perplexing scene. You're not sure how it how it gets to that point, and then you watch all of that unfold as the episode goes. Yeah, I think it's really nice that. For the most part, I'd say maybe 90% of these that we see in Breaking Bad, they're usually always paid off at least a little bit by the end of the episode. So when they do happen, you're not left, you know, episode and episode, you like waiting to find out what happens, which is really fun. There are some shows that, that make use of this tactic where they do sort of a flash forward, but then don't pay it off for a while. That can be frustrating for the audience. So, so after this happens, we cut back to the we, we cut to the credits, and then we are back to a pre-bald Walt, still a full head of hair. And we are back with Walt during another chemo treatment. Skylar's sitting with him, but it's clear here that this is starting to affect him. Like, the actual treatment is affecting him mentally, physically. And then while they're sitting there, Skylar asks about the payment from Elliot, the one that he lied to his family that he was going to get for the treatment. And here he again lies that the money for the treatment is taken care of. He received the payment from Elliot and everything's all good. But when he pays for the treatment, Skylar's now gone. He asks that they not cash the check that he's using until Monday. And it's clear at this point, he hasn't figured out how to make this work. He, he knows he's going to go back to cooking, but he doesn't know how they're actually going to make the money from the cooking. Right. So at this point, presumably, he's just waiting for his paycheck to come in so that he can pay for his chemo out of his regular paycheck because he hasn't generated extra meth making income yet. Right. Other than the money that we see him get in the first episode, we, he hasn't gotten any other money from from the meth cooking. So after this, we get some really beautiful time-lapse footage of Albuquerque, which is another thing the show does really well, is give us a really good sense of place, which I find really interesting. And, and to your point, Zach, earlier about the show being set somewhere else, I think this wouldn't be nearly as interesting if it was set you know, in a suburb of LA. But the fact that we're in Albuquerque, we're in New Mexico, it has all these great settings, you know, all of this beautiful cinematography and time-lapse footage really works. And this scene ends with Walt back in class and another chemistry speech. So we haven't had a chemistry speech to his class in a couple of episodes. But as we pointed out a couple episodes back on the podcast, these tend to be pretty important. So let's listen to a little bit of his, his lecture to his class. Chemical reactions involve change on two levels, matter and energy. When a reaction is gradual, a change in energy is slight. I mean, you you don't even notice the reaction is happening. But if a reaction happens quickly, otherwise harmless substances can interact in a way that generates enormous bursts of energy. And the faster reactants, i.e. explosives, and fulminate of mercury is a prime example of that, the faster they undergo change, the more violent the explosion. Okay, so what do you think we should make of this lesson? I think that the first thing to point out is that this is like the third or fourth or maybe even fifth chemistry lecture that we're hearing as the audience. And I think the audience 
at this point is getting a little bit smarter about putting the pieces together about what this might mean more on a deeper level than just a chemistry lesson. So this is certainly foreshadowing for something that's going to happen later in the episode. So something literal about what he's talking about. But Zach, do you think that he's talking about himself here? And specifically, I'm thinking about the line where he says, the faster the chemicals undergo the change, the more violent the explosion. Yeah, I think he is. Well, he's certainly talking about himself, even if it's unconscious. I don't think he's sitting there reflecting on his own life and thinking, wow, I'm really changing the person that I am. And I'll, I'll no doubt turn violent soon. I think rather it's a veiled lesson for us, the listener. And he's talking about himself because who else is he talking about here, right? What other character thus far in the plot, at least, has undergone a transformation of the scope or scale that Walt has? So I think he's clearly talking about himself. And I love, the, I love. I mean, we've talked about this before, Josh. We love the chemistry lessons because every time there's a chemistry lesson, there's something being said about human nature here. And so we've talked about what makes a human person, right? What about the soul is what Gretchen asks in the in one of the early episodes. We've talked about decay and transformation. And now Walt is talking about violent reactions. And he, he mentions that basically, you know, decay has has two forms, right? It's either the slow, the slow burning process that's barely discernible and often hidden, something like the undercarriage of a car, or it's something that happens quickly. And if it happens quickly, it's going to happen violently and it's going to create all this energy and um, probably have a lot of side effects that are unintended because it's, it's, it's a lot more difficult to control an explosion than it is to control a rusting pipe. So I think it's definitely about him. And when we think about the opening scene that you described, Josh, and then we listen to a little bit, the, the intercut, right? So jo- uh, Walt is, is uh, standing there telling Jesse, let's get something straight. You deal with the customer. You handle the streets. I don't want to ever see the streets. I don't want to ever see the drug users. I don't want to be involved in any of that. You do that. But as he's saying that, that's intercut with, with a scene in which it looks like and you know we'll find out by the end of the episode, but it sure looks like Walt has now sort of ventured onto the streets and is getting his hands dirty. So that sounds like exactly what Walt is talking about. The the more rapid the change, the more violent the reaction. Yeah, yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah, Walt here, he doesn't seem to be able to stick to his guns about not getting involved in the right. other side. I think that's a lot to do with, you know, the fact that he wants to be in control. And we'll talk more about that later in the episode, but yeah. he simply can't let it go. You know, he has to be involved in in every piece of the operation, even though at first he says he doesn't want to. So following this chemistry lesson, Walt actually rushes to the bathroom where he becomes violently ill. And it's clear he's having some severe effects from the chemotherapy. And after he throws up in the toilet, he's greeted by a nice school janitor, Hugo, who helps him out by cleaning up his mess. And actually, when I rewatched this episode... I just thought to myself, man, Hugo is just so nice. That's so abnormal in this in this show. There's got to be something more there. And as we'll learn later, there is, it, you know, when you're too nice, you know, you're going to take the fall for something. And we'll find yep. out more about that later. It's funny. I had the exact same experience because uh, I didn't remember the role that Hugo played in this episode. And as I was watching, I was like, oh, man, what a nice guy. This is such a welcome breath of fresh air in this episode. Yeah. So next we are in what seems to be like a cancer self-help group with Skylar, Walt, and Walt Jr., and, and a bunch of other people who are clearly afflicted with some sort of uh, terminal disease. Skylar seems pretty emotional about all of this, and Walt seems annoyed. 
Like there's really no other way to put it. He doesn't seem to want to be there. You know, it's, it's, it's pretty obvious that he went because Skylar asked him to go. And so during this self-help group, Skylar asks where he goes in the afternoons and why he's coming home so late. And it's really not clear what she thinks it is, but he is encouraged by the group leader of the self-help group to share where he goes. And he says he likes to be alone and that he goes on walks and enjoys nature. To me, this felt like a pretty lame explanation, but for some reason, everybody seems to buy it. Is that is that weird? Is it is it really not that lame? I don't know. It's It's tough because we know Walt and it doesn't seem at all in accordance with his personality to be this guy who like goes on nature walks and, you know, pursues self-reflection. So yeah, I think it is kind of strange that Skylar and Walter Jr. seem to buy it at least a little bit here for the rest of the people there who don't know Walt. I mean, I imagine that being diagnosed with a terminal illness is a pretty life altering event and it's reasonable to think that people could respond in unique and surprising ways. So Maybe not surprising that everyone else buys it, but it is a little bit surprising that Skyler and Walter Jr. seem to buy it. Although maybe they just don't want to press the issue too much in the public setting. I don't know. Yeah, and I thought maybe also they don't feel like they can push it because, you know, he does have cancer. Like, he's the one with the illness Right, here. true. Yeah. You know, it's like, we can not we can only push him so much. And I feel like some of the other people in the meeting are probably like, right on, man, you do you. You do what you need to do. <laughs> right, for sure, yeah. So after this, we're back in the RV, and Walt is finally back to cooking. I don't think we've seen him cook meth since the very first episode, so this is kind of an exciting return to some of the stuff we saw in the pilot. But even though he's being precise while he's cooking, something is off, he's having trouble concentrating, and finally he bursts out of the RV to catch his breath. Jesse's reaction to this, first of all, he's like sitting in a lawn chair, just like reading a magazine. So it's clear his contribution to the cooking at this point is is not very Minimal. much. But he's he's pretty much like, you know, what what the heck is going on, man? Like, wh- what's wrong with you? And Walt undoes his meth cooking jumpsuit. He's sort of wised up since the first episode. He's no longer cooking in his underwear. And Jesse seems to have a moment of realization. And let's hear that right now. <sighs> when are you going to tell me? Tell you what. Cancer. You got it, right? How did you know? My aunt had one of those dots on her to target the radiation. What stage are you? 3A. On your lip notes. I get it now. That's why you're doing all this. You want to make some cash for your people before you check out. You got a problem with that? Hey, you tell me. You're the one that looks like you just crawled out of a microwave. I will mention here, Josh, real quick before you jump in. I cut out a lot of the this episode for or this scene for time, so it's it's very condensed. The scene itself is is much better acted than that clip would suggest because there's a lot of sort of dead air as Jesse and Walt are sort of evaluating each other. Um, I think one of the funniest parts of that that you have to see is when Walt says he's stage three A. Jesse kind of pauses and looks at him. And then just goes, spread to your lymph nodes. And it's almost it's almost like Jesse's <laughs> yeah. like a doctor or something. And Walt gives him this hilarious look that's just like, how in the world do you know that? Yeah, he's like, you failed my high school chemistry class. And yet, you know, yeah. the intricacies of the stages of cancer. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You know, Jesse seems pretty even keeled in this exchange. You know, he keep he maintains his his tone. I mean, clearly he's agitated that 
that Walt didn't tell him this ahead of time. But do you think it's because he understands like the effects of cancer because of his aunt? And it's it's not really clear whether or not he was close to his aunt, but I guess close enough that he saw what was going on. Yes, absolutely. I think this scene for me says a couple of things. One is it it really sort of softens Jesse, I think, because we saw Jesse a few episodes ago and the really sort of rough rough home life he had when he was living with his parents and how he can't catch a break and his brother frames him for using marijuana in the house when it wasn't Jesse, in fact. And, you know, it seems like Jesse basically, you know, he's trying to get a job, can't get a job. Walt's offered a job and turns down a job. And so it seems like Jesse's really, really trying, but he can't catch a break. And now we find out that his aunt has also died of cancer and she died, died pretty quickly you know, in only seven months time. And like you said, Josh, it's not clear if he was really close to her, but it seems like he was um, because he knows a lot about her cancer. Um, So that's the first thing. It sort of really softens Jesse's character. I think the second thing, as far as how mature and even keeled he's being about this, I mean, this is, Jesse's really sounding sort of like an adult here. I mean, there's the, you know, the quips like you, you're the one who looks, looked like you just climbed out of a microwave, (laughs) which are kind of funny and typical Jesse, but overall you're right. He's fairly sensitive about the cancer that Walt has. He expresses a a full understanding of what's going on. He even comes to the conclusion about a conclusion about why Walt is cooking meth and all that's really interesting, but it also, I think sort of highlights in a strange way, the, the codependency that's growing between Walt and Jesse. So I think we have sort of two, we have a paradigm of, of, um, or two different paradigms that we can look at the relationship between Walt and Jesse. One is the father son figure or father son relationship that we've talked about where Walt is the, tutor and uh you know uh, jesse is the padawan um and then the second is this sort of like unhealthy codependency where they both sort of pull each other down or pull each other up as the as the case is and i think that's an example of this where jesse is sort of the one who is expressing understanding and is expressing an ability to help um and this is of course in the context of the episode where they've emphasized their partnership so in this conversation jesse says i'm your partner i gotta know this stuff in the very beginning of the episode, of course, Walt is saying, this is our partnership, right? I'm the silent partner, but we're both in this together. Um, later, we're going to see a scene where Jesse goes to a, a dealer, big time dealer to try to sell the stuff. And he talks about his partner and that's Walt. So in this episode, the the equality of the partnership is really coming through pretty strongly, I think. But it's an equality that is really a, a codependency and it's obviously not a healthy one. Yeah. And I would say it's super important, especially in the father-son dynamic for Jesse to have some sort of maturity because I think what's important to realize is that an adult father and an adult son, you know, the father isn't always going to be right. And so it's really important that the son have moments in this case, the pseudo father, pseudo son relationship. The son needs to have moments where he has the upper hand because otherwise the dynamic gets really boring really quickly. It's like, all right, Walt is always right. He knows everything. But it's important for Jesse's character growth, especially as we continue looking at the series, for him to have moments where he has the upper hand. So Jesse has to finish cooking that batch, which he's not thrilled about, but, you know, Walt has him do it anyway because he is too sick to do it. And then after that, we cut to a scene. It appears to be maybe in the same parking lot where, you know, Hank took... Walt Jr. to to tell him about the effects of, of drugs earlier. I couldn't really tell, but it looked to be the same setting. But anyway, Hank is back there in that same parking lot, maybe, and he's meeting with his DEA partner, Gomez. 
And if you remember the gas mask that they found in the desert a couple episodes ago, well, it's back. And the analysis from the FBI that they had done on it is complete. And what they discovered was that there was writing on the inside of the mask indicating it's from a chemistry lab at a local high school. And it just so happens to be Walt's high school. Uh Uh-oh. Dun, dun, dun. So... You know, after this, you know, we don't get any payoff immediately from that scene. But after this, we're sort of in this really goofy moment. And it's set to music that seems like it belongs in something like Austin Powers rather than Breaking Bad. Yeah, that's so true. Basically, Jesse is slinging the meth. And it looks like he's selling a lot of it around town to both like degenerate drug users, but also like high class people. You see a couple people in like suit and ties purchasing this. So the clientele is very diverse. And the next day, he brings the money to Walt, and he has this great line where he's he says, I'm out there making fat stacks, man. <laughs> uh, he brings the money along with a prepaid cell phone, and this is the exchange that they have when he brings the cash. Yeah, I think it's worth noting just real quick before we play this scene that it looks like, well, it's very clear Jesse has been out there all night or at least the better part of the night, make, you know, wheeling and dealing, making deals with all sorts of people, and he's not slacking basically is what I'm saying. He's, he's, he's working hard to try to hold up his end of the bargain as the guy who Walt in the, in the beginning of this episode said, you're the guy out on the street, right? I'm the silent partner. I do the cooking, you do the selling, right? So Jesse's been working hard, but that's what leads to this next scene. How much is this? 26 big ones. Is that all? $26,000? No, that's 2,600. And your share is 13. How much meth did you sell? Nearly an ounce. Last time I checked, there were 16 ounces to a pound. What'd you do with the rest? Smoke it? Yo, I've been out there all night slinging crystal. You think it's cake moving a pound of meth one-teenth at a time? So why are you selling it in such small quantities? Why don't you just sell the whole pound at once? To who? What do I look like, Scarface? This return is too little for the risk. I thought you'd be ready for another pound today. You may know a lot about chemistry, man, but you don't know jack about slinging dope. Yeah, so it's it's pretty clear here. Walt is super unimpressed with the amount that Jesse was able to secure. First of all, I don't really know why he would be unimpressed with $26,000. It's not like, what does he know, like, the how much meth is actually worth? I, I don't know. Like, $26,000 seems like a good amount of cash for a pound. I mean, I don't know anything about drugs either, but... It seems like a ton. But I guess if you do the math, he was expecting Jesse to sell a pound, right? And what actually happened was uh, an ounce for 2600 so whatever 16 times 2,600 is, yeah, $41,600, just did the math. <laughs> so that's, that's what he was expecting, I guess. So when Jesse comes in with 26,000, that's, you know, 50% less than what Walt was hoping for. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. But, but even still, like, it, it just seems like he would be, he shouldn't be complaining about any money at this point. Like, you know, he's making some money. This is another interesting shift in the power dynamic. And we just saw it, you know, in the scene about Walt's cancer revealed to Jesse. But here... Jesse really has the upper hand because he clearly knows the business of meth dealing and Walt is totally out of his element. Yeah. And I think this is a, I mean, we, we sort of talked about this with the cancer discussion, but this seems to be a recurrent theme in the episode. The interaction outside of the RV, for example, it shows us that Jesse's very familiar with the effects of chemo and probably even more so than Walt is at this point. Cause Walt's only gone for one session of radiation therapy, right? He's the one who knows what stage 3A means. His, his words are sort of informing Walt rather, rather than the other way around. And it's the same thing here. Walt clearly has no idea how the mechanics of the meth industry work. And even though Jesse's terminology is sort of crude and imprecise with a, you know, sling and dope or sling and crystal or whatever, he clearly has a better 
fundamental grasp of how to do that work. Yeah, and I think that, you know, it's it's really important, again, that we see Jesse, you know, in in a position where he knows something. Look, it's not the most admirable thing to know a lot about, but the fact of the matter is that he does have the upper hand here. And it's important for him as a character and for us as an audience to recognize that he's not just some dumb drug user. He actually has some knowledge and is smart. So Walt then suggests, you know, that they move the meth in bulk. Like it's as easy as as that. Just like, oh, let's just move it in bulk. You know, he's thinking in like typical capitalistic terms, like, look, we have a product. Let's just, you know, start an Etsy store or something like that. Well, and I I love the uh, the response from Jesse. Like, what, (laughs) like, who do I sell to? Scarface? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But of course, this is drug dealing. And so it's unlikely that it will be that easy. Um, Walt just doesn't seem to care. I mean, here his like control comes back in and he's like, look, I set the terms. I'm the cook. You figure out the rest. And, you know, Jesse keeps telling him that it's too risky. And Walt pretty much firmly ends the conversation by just saying, just grow some effing balls. And that that is like the end of that that conversation. So after this, Walt is back at his chemo treatment and realizing that he still doesn't have enough to pay for the treatment. And the chemo is affecting him more and more. The next day at school, he's in the bathroom barfing again. Uh, but kind janitor Hugo, he's there with a stick of gum, which is, again, it's like too nice. You're too nice, yeah. Hugo. Don't be so nice in this show. It'll come back to bite you. That's that's the moral of the story for Hugo. So after class is over that day, Walt has an unexpected visitor, his brother-in-law, Hank. Hank is on official business, much to the pretty obvious nervousness of Walt. And Hank wants to know if Walt recognizes the missing gas mask. So Walt bluffs his way through the interaction, lying at every turn. He certainly can't fess up to Hank at this point because Hank knows that the gas mask is connected to meth cooking. And Walt can say, yeah, I took it to cook my own meth. Sorry, Hank, just a slap on the wrist. Um, But he definitely knows the gas mask got out into the desert by his hand. And he took it there and used it to cook meth. So they go into the storage room and Hank checks the inventory on Walt's chemistry equipment. Hank notices there's a fair amount of stuff missing, actually way more than just the the gas mask, and tells Walt he needs to keep in, you know, a better eye on things. It doesn't seem Hank suspects Walt in the slightest at this point. And you made a you made an interesting note about this as well. Yeah, I just think it's worth pointing out that although Hank certainly doesn't suspect Walt at all, Walt Walt is not confident in Hank's trust in him. In other words, Hank makes a, a joke. I forget exactly what he says, but I think something about like you know, uh, you better, you know, not let any more equipment go loose or I'll have to, I'll, I'll start suspecting you or something like that. And he's clearly joking, but Walt looks at him like with a kind of terrified expression, almost like, wait, have you figured me out? Like, are you actually suspecting me? And then Hank just sort of lets it hang in the air for a little bit. And then it's just like, no, I'm just kidding you, man. Of course, you know? Uh, so yes, to Hank, it's clear that the thought of this mild mannered professorial brother-in-law of his who teaches chemistry to high school is it's 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 unthinkable to think that he's he's uh cooking meth or slinging crystal in the words of jesse but um uh but walt thinks that hank still might suspect him walt is a little bit uh a little bit leery well in in hank's defense at this point walt hasn't slung any crystal himself that is true (laughs) so he's only doing the cooking my first thought about all this is you know should we fault hank for this 
or do we just know too much as an audience and therefore think it should be more obvious? Like, we're meant to believe that Hank is really good at his job, but um, I was wondering if you thought this scene is trying to tell us that he might not be. Like, he he seems to be missing some, like, kind of obvious things. Like, yeah. look, Walt, Walt might not be doing it. Like, he, he might not be able to see that. But at the same time, the stuff came directly from the the equipment storage that Walt was in charge of. So you might think that someone, you know, might say, Hank, maybe you should look into your brother-in-law a little bit. I don't know. I think my take's a little bit different. I think that Hank is really good at his job. Um, he, for the, for example, you know, first episode of the show, he's interviewed on the local TV after a drug bus. Like he's the the lead DEA agent on that bus where they take down, what is it, $400,000 in, in uh, math or something. He's the guy who found the secret stash in Crazy Eight's car when his partner Gomez, or Gomi as he says, couldn't find it. Uh, he's the one who... Um, he didn't find the mask, but he's the one who sort of led the forensic investigation via, you know, vis-a-vis the lab to figure out that it came from the high school. So he, it seems like he knows what he's talking about. I think the lesson here is one, it's easy to overlook the fact that loved ones can do bad things, you know, just sort of the, the blinding power of familiarity and love. And two, the, just the, really the remarkable success that Walt has been able to achieve so far, maybe it's luck, but but no one really suspects him because this is seemingly so out of character for him. So he, this gradual descent into darkness, I mean, he had that chemistry talk, right, about the the gradual decay, the rust in car that nobody notices, um, although there's also the violent explosion possibility. But I think the the rust is easy to overlook. It's, it's, hard to, it's hard to see the rust day in and day out building. It's just gradually over time. And then before you know it, you have a rusted out undercarriage and need to pay to repair that. So... I don't know. I think that's that's my lesson for this from Hank. Um, as far as whether or not he should be suspecting Walt, I think it's easy for us to forget that Walt is a really awkward guy. So we see a lot of these like weird idiosyncrasies in the interactions between Walt and Hank and think, man, Walt's acting pretty suspicious here. But remember, Walt, like we, we talk about their breakfasts <laughs> at their table when he's with his family. He's just an awkward dude and doesn't know how to really interact with people and um, so for Hank, it's probably just another, oh, you know, another uh, sort of this like um, charmingly awkward brother-in-law of mine. What a guy, that chemistry teacher, you know. No, no, I totally get that. I think that's one thing that is easy to forget that we're only seeing, you know, Hank and Walt's interaction after Walt turns 50. I mean, they've been right, together, right. you know, as as brother and brother-in-law or whatever. You know, they've had this relationship for for like maybe two decades at this right. point. So we, we don't see all the familiarity that's been built up. And I think that's a really important point to to point out there because, yeah, why would he suspect his super nerdy, awkward brother-in-law right. at this point? Yeah, totally. So, so during this interaction between Hank and Walt, Jesse calls Walt on the prepaid cell phone and tells him that he has a connection with the new meth wholesale buyer, the person who took the place of Crazy 8. This guy's name is Tuco. So then we cut to Jesse and Skinny Pete. Don't forget about Skinny Pete from a previous episode. He, he was smoking weed and, and meth in Jesse's house. He's a real this winner. Is actually, yeah, this is actually Jesse's connection to Tuco. And if you weren't sure whether or not he was a winner before, when Jesse asked <laughs> uh, Skinny Pete, you know, are you sure you're tight with, the, with this guy Tuco? Skinny Pete responds with the line, which is super awesome. He goes, yeah, man, we're like two balls in a nutsack. 
which I thought was just really funny. I, I don't really know why that is a like why why is that a good way to explain how close you are to somebody i really don't understand that at all i mean you know it's a, i think it's the cruder way of saying two peas in a pod yeah, but you know so. it's skinny pete here it's not you know it's not right. a mild-mannered walter white so they jesse and skinny pete get through the very sketchy and scary security i mean like they're getting patted down they're people with guns i mean it's very like intimidating people to get up to see tuco and here we get their interaction with Tuco and to put it mildly this guy is crazy totally so just crazy. listen to this this uh, quick exchange between Tuco Skinny Pete and Jesse you don't get the visual of of Tuco and what he looks like but you can hear in his voice that he is clearly off his rocker and I just want to say that in this scene and the next one I've trimmed a good amount for time so some of the some of the crazy pauses and cackles that you hear just imagine that like times three because that's how the scene actually plays out in the in the show. <laughs> Booyah! Wow! <laughs> this, this kicks like a mule with his balls wrapped in duct tape. Wow! Where'd you get it? I cooked it. <laughs> Bullshit. Who are you working for? No one, man. I mean, I have a partner that I cook with, but that's it. All right. Oh. We got a deal. So, first of all, you know, Tuco has taken the place of Crazy 8, but where, where was he before? Like, why wasn't this guy always in charge? He's clearly crazy enough that, you know, and... and you know, we're about to find out just how crazy he is, but I can't figure out how he was ever below someone like Crazy Eight, who who seemed much more mild mannered from the limited interaction we did get with him. Yeah, oh, I think he was, but it's I mean, it seemed like that was sort of his strength, right? Like being mild mannered and always being in control. And I don't want to I don't want to spoil anything for the future, but I think one lesson of Breaking Bad and uh, one of the many, many, many lessons is that you know, a loss of a loss of self-control is is almost always devastating, right? And so Tuco is not someone whose uh, chief virtue is self-control, to put it mildly. Whereas Crazy Eight, just in the in the entire uh, the entire dialogue with Walt when he was chained up in Walt's basement, very clearly that was a young man who exhibited uh, an impressive amount of self-control and an uncommon amount of self-control. Uh, even though he was on the wrong side of the law, whereas Tuco wasn't that. So I can definitely see how Crazy Eight would be able to make uh, wiser business decisions, you know, not burn as many bridges because Tuco's personality is, you know, zero or 100. And he is, uh, he's, you know, bipolar. I don't mean that in a medical sense necessarily, although very possibly, but he really does seem insane. And so many of the decisions he makes are just based on, a whim or you know someone slights him and he doesn't like it etc yeah i think it's an example of something like when you get power and it goes to your head even in this yeah, limited yeah. you know situation like he doesn't have power over that much but the power right. that he does have he and and it's also pretty obvious he's on drugs most of the time like what you heard at the beginning of that clip was <laughs> totally. him snorting some of the crystal meth that that jesse he brought and so that seems to be his like normal level i'm not really sure what does he have a chief virtue does he have any virtues it's not it's not really clear i would uh, say uh, no at yeah, this point no. in our interaction with him right 
I mean, it's pretty courageous. <laughs> just not. Uh, it's just that the courage is not moderated by the other virtues, which is a problem. Right. Exactly. So Jesse asks Tuco for thirty-five thousand dollars for the whole pound of crystal meth, but Tuco says, "Look, I'm not paying until after it sells." Jesse pushes back that he wants the cash up front, but Tuco is not having it. Jesse tries to run away, but the cronies in Tuco's lair grab him and bring him back. Then he appears to have a change of heart and starts filling a bag with with cash. But things turn quickly and Tuco beats Jesse to a pulp while everyone else just stands around and watches. It's an absolutely like brutal scene. It's really hard to watch. It's, it's not the kind the of beating that, time. that looks like it could kill somebody. Yeah, definitely. And it's going to land Jesse in the hospital, which we'll find out later. But it's it's unfortunately for Jesse, and I won't give any specific spoilers, but it's not the last time he's going to have an encounter with violence, yeah, which yeah. is unfortunate for, for Jesse. So here we see that even though Walt didn't want any more violence, you know, at the very beginning of the episode, he's like, look, no more people getting hurt. His lack of understanding of the business led to someone and someone he cares about at that getting really hurt. So that's an important thing to note. Like, again, Walt thinks that he can have his hands out of the, you know, out of this, but really he can't. Like, there's no way of getting around it. Like, this is the right. business he's chosen to get into. So then we cut away from this scene, thankfully, since it's so brutal. And we're back at Walt's school where Hank is there. He's arresting super kind Hugo. What oh, happened? So, it's so terrible. We don't know for what, but we can assume it's in connection to the chemistry lab equipment being stolen because Hank was there, you know, trying to do some investigative work earlier in the episode. So that night, Walt is trying to reach Jesse on the prepaid cell phone, but he isn't getting any answer. He leaves a message and goes back to a poker game he's having with Hank, Marie, Skyler, and Walt Jr. Walt Jr. asks his uncle Hank why Hugo was being arrested, and Hank informs the whole group that they suspected him of stealing the chemistry equipment. And he tells the group that while Hugo is, quote, a major pothead with a fat blunt in his car, <laughs> he wasn't actually the thief. Um, and Walt tries to say that there's no way Hugo could be the culprit. And Hank responds with a great line that says, you wouldn't know a criminal if he tried to check you for a hernia. And again, that's just Hank, you know, just he can't see past Walt's really awkward and mild mannered, you know, right. 20 years of knowing him. So what's re what's really interesting here is, uh, you know, about that line is Walt's reaction. It's not verbal, so we can't play anything for you. But he gives a he gives Hank a look that's almost incredulous. It's almost it's almost like he's saying, actually, bro, I am a criminal and you just can't tell. And I'm doing it right under your nose. And it's really that pride thing again. It really stood out to me when when I was rewatching this episode. Yeah. When, when I was looking at your show notes for this scene, I thought about that and was like, you know, you're right, but I didn't notice that in the first place or the first time I watched it. So I think that's almost a, a point in Hank's favor, right? That like you can read you can read both both versions because when he looks at Hank that way, what I saw was in sort of an awkward look at Hank, right? The, the sort of typical awkward Walter White. And what you saw is, I think, probably the real sentiment, which is um, I'm a criminal, right? And you don't know, so ha ha. Which, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a testament to Brian Cranston's acting, obviously. Um, but I think it's also in some ways a testament or at least a, uh, a vote of confidence for Hank, who 
like us is sometimes duped by Walt. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's one of those things where we have an advantage over the characters in the show because we've seen the full picture of what Walt's doing and we know, you know, what Hank's doing as well. So what follows is a really interesting metaphorical showdown between Walt and Hank. It's actually a literal showdown too, because they're playing poker, but basically everyone else who's playing Walt Jr., Skyler, Marie, they all fold on the hand of poker that they're playing and only Walt and Hank are left to duke it out. And so Walt decides to go all in perhaps a representation maybe of how he's gone all in in his life to cook meth and use that to support his family. And now he's challenging Hank to call his bluff. Can Hank outsmart him? Hank folds. And the answer for now is no, he can't. So Zach, I want to ask you, because I think you have a really interesting perspective on this. What do you read into this poker scene? Well, I think the first thing is this is cool hand Luke, right? Because Walt doesn't actually have a good hand. He's bluffing his way through it. I think the second thing is it's worth pointing out that Hank is very confident in this scene, right? He keeps he keeps talking smack in I mean, <laughs> Hank's character is great. I love it. Um, but he keeps talking smack in only in only a way that Hank can do. And he's telling everybody that Walt is bluffing, right? Walt doesn't really have anything, yada yada. So you you kind of get the impression that these guys are gonna go down to the wire and they're both gonna turn their cards over at the end and, and see what the other has. But ultimately, it's all bravado. He thinks he can read Walt like a book, but he really can't. And when he realizes that he can't at the very end, he's unsettled by it, right? Because he he folds, he gives up, and then he realizes that he he wasn't, or he, he probably would have won, right? Would have won if he had stayed in. And then the second thing is, Walt seems to be taking this game very seriously. This is just a, it's supposed to be a friendly poker game among family. And Josh, like, I don't know if you played poker with family, but it's fun, right? You just, you play for, I don't know, like you put five bucks in a pod or, uh, you know, you play for like, you know, you use M&Ms as the poker chips or something, right? But it's all, it's all like low stakes just for fun. And Walt seems to be, to be making this like a direct, uh, a direct uh, challenge to Hank or he is, is trying to prove something by doing it, right? I I know something you don't know and you won't ever know. I don't know. It's it's very strange, but uh, it seems like it's it's turned into a toe to toe with Hank, the DEA agent. So we have the the budding meth kingpin versus the DEA agent, and that's what we're watching. We're not watching the brothers in law play a family game of poker. Yeah, and I think it's it's a testament to the fact that Walt as a character he's clearly someone who doesn't like to lose. Like he could be playing any game or any type of thing. And that pride, that sense of control would come back in and he just cannot stand to be on the losing end of anything, which is why, you know, even though they made money earlier in the episode from selling meth, like it wasn't enough. That was a loss for him. Right. So the next morning, Walt is in the shower and large clumps of his hair fall out. And I only point this out because it's just another example in the episode of the effects of the chemotherapy, how real they are for him as a character. So after he gets out of the shower, he tries to call Jesse again, but he gets skinny Pete instead and testament to skinny Pete. He's actually hanging by Jesse's side at the hospital. That's kind of nice. So, so we cut to a hospital where Walt visits an unconscious and badly beaten Jesse he doesn't reveal himself to Skinny Pete, but instead he wants to know everything he can about Tuco. It's right. it's very, very obvious here that that Walt is is incredibly affected by what's happened to Jesse. Like he he just didn't believe that this could ever happen, and he knows that it's a direct result of him telling Jesse to grow some effing balls and figure out a way to sell the meth. So the next day we see 
mountains of pills that Walt has taken for his cancer. Just another reminder that he's really dealing with a lot here. It's really a sobering reality of the person he's become. He can't control the pills he takes. He can't control his body letting him down. He can't control his hair loss. So he does something interesting in this scene where he decides to take matters into his own hands and he shaves his head completely bald because it's the one thing he can control. Like he's losing his hair, but he's going to take it into his hands and say, look, I remove my hair myself. And the reaction is that Skyler is shocked. And Walt Jr., on the other hand, says, badass, dad, which I thought was kind of funny. Yeah, I have a nit to pick here because Skyler is shocked. And that's that's fine. I mean, it's it's fine if the person that you've been married to for, you know, 15, 20 years all of a sudden looks radically different because he shaved his head. But the but she like shows her shockness and it's almost it's almost like she's now like appalled at how he looks like she holds her hand to her mouth and it's just like oh and then just stares at him and it's just it's like really i mean your husband's a cancer patient like show i mean i get that he's a bad guy but like you don't quite know that like you, you have your suspicions about him think he's cheating whatever but like you know he's a cancer patient who had to shave his head because he's losing his hair like have a little bit of sympathy and don't just like make him feel like he's now a super ugly bald dude i don't know (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's not like it's not like the greatest acting performance either so it's a little bit like over the top but thankfully thankfully for walt it is breakfast time and we know that no one really makes (laughs) eye contact in the walt household no one really you know looks at each other so he doesn't even see skylar's face he just says pass the eggs or pass the bacon yeah that is that is amazing too you're right he doesn't even look at her so she has this reaction but he doesn't even phase him because he didn't see yeah if ever you want to you something to go under the radar just say uh, can we do this at the walt household because i don't think anybody will notice anything oh my goodness so the now bald Walt appears at Tuco's headquarters maybe later that day. He's got another bag of meth that he shoves in his his jacket pocket. And he sort of demands to see Tuco and is taken to see him. And as an audience at this point, you're like, dude, you are so dumb. Like, what are you doing? Right. You know, you know, Jesse got beaten to a pulp. And so he goes up there. And he meets with Tuco, and Tuco examines the meth that Walt brought, and they have this exchange. Yeah, so uh, two quick things here, real quick. Um, first is, uh, we remember hearing about a fulminated mercury in the the chemistry discussion earlier, and that was in the context of um, of rapid, rapid chemical reactions that make explosions. The second thing is, this is a two-minute scene that I've condensed to uh, just over one minute, just for the sake of time. So there are some dramatic long pauses that take place between Tuco and Walt in this. Um, and I, I said two things. I guess I'll make three things. The third thing is, this is where we hear Walt's new Breaking Bad name, uh, his his kingpin name. And it's a good one. And it's probably one that you've heard before, even if you haven't heard the sh- or seen the show before. But this is the Tuco-Walt showdown. Heisenberg. Heisenberg. Okay. I'm Seat Heisenberg. I don't imagine I'll be here very long. No? (laughs) It's your meeting. Why don't you start talking and tell me what you want? (laughs) $50,000. I steal your dope. Hmm? I... Beat the piss out of your mule boy. And then you walk in here and you bring me more men? 
Woo, that's a brilliant plan, is it? Brilliant. You got one part of that wrong. This is not meth. So what happened there at the end of the clip, uh, in case you haven't seen this episode, and again, we do encourage all of our listeners to watch the episodes before you listen to the podcast. It'll make our discussion a lot more fun, I think. You can draw your own conclusions. But what is happening there is that Walt picks up what Tuco thought was the crystal meth that he put on his, his desk, and he throws it on the ground. And what we quickly learn is that it wasn't meth after all. It was the fulminated mercury, the chemical that you know Zach mentioned we talked about earlier in this podcast and that we heard about earlier in the episode, and it causes a massive explosion. And Walt basically comes up from the explosion holding the rest of the bag of fulminated mercury. He, he threatens to throw the whole thing on the ground, but at this point, Tuco concedes, and it's it's kind of obvious that he's impressed with the tenacity of Walt to stand up to him, and he agrees to a deal. So two pounds of meth per week, $70,000 money up front. Walt leaves with the bag of money, and we are back into the scene that opened the episode. He gets into his car, looks at the money, and releases a guttural scream. This has been like a rush for him. Finally, something back in his control. As sirens sound in the distance, Walt drives away, and we cut to the credits. It's incredible. It's a powerful final scene. Yeah, I think that this is a... This has taken the spot as my favorite episode in the first season so far. It's really nice to see, you know, them back uh, cooking math because I think that's where the dynamic between Walt and Jesse is so good. It's interesting, you know, they're introducing uh, a bit, pretty big character in Tuco, and you know, there's a lot that happens here that is just really, really well done. Well, when we talked about Gray Matter, right, uh, episode five, that one's very slow and. Like I said, I think last week when you talk to people who watched a little bit of Breaking Bad but stopped because it was too slow, normally it's because they hit gray matter and they're like, "This, there's nothing happening, this is just boring. But if they, if they make it to here, episode six, Crazy Handful of Nothing, it's going to pick up pretty quickly. It's almost like you could, you could roll right from episode five gray matter into crazy handful of nothing and make it just like one, you know, hour and a half long episode right. because Definitely. they sort of, they go together in the sense that, you know, it's all about the money that Walt needs for his cancer treatments. It's, you know, them getting back into cooking. So they sort of work together. Well, and as you said, this episode literally picks up in the exact moment that episode five leaves off. Right. So exactly. Yeah. All right. Well, if there's nothing else with this episode, the only thing left to do is to pick our MVP for this episode. Zach, I will kick it to you first. Who is your MVP for episode six of Breaking Bad? This is a tough one, man. It was a three-horse race for me, but I'm going to go with Tuco Salamanca, who is introduced in this episode. And it's just a, I mean, he's a terrible guy, but just a fantastic character. Uh, a, you know, probably the craziest on-screen persona that I've seen in any show. Uh, but he, he's he's believable, which is, I mean, it's, it's an impressive acting performance to do that. But I also think that he... Um, he's able to sort of drive and motivate Walt's transformation more quickly than any other person or thing that we've seen in the show so far. So I'm going to give my MVP vote to Tuco. Yeah, I will also give my MVP vote to Tuco as well, played by an actor named Raymond Cruz. I think that the reason that I would pick him over my second place finisher, which was Hank this week, is because he is such a big character, 
But when you have an introduction like he has and he plays it so big and yet you do believe that this person could actually exist, I think that's a really impressive thing to do in a show where everybody else is pretty grounded. You know, the people are doing uh, heightened things, but the fact is that most of the characters are grounded. And when you have a character like Tuco who is so elevated in like his, he ratchets up the energy, but still feels like he could be real i mean that's a testament to good acting and a a good character well said well said all right well anything else on crazy handful of nothing that's all i've got man great episode i'm excited for next week though finish up season one yes so we will be back next week with episode seven of season one to cover that and thank you all for listening if you haven't already please subscribe leave a comment rate our podcast it helps other people find our show and we'll be back soon i am josh and i'm zach we'll talk to you soon bye